0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am just overjoyed today to be able to spend a little time catching up with two of my favorite people in education Trisha Pettis and Kayla Liu, who work in Minnesota, in Edina Public Schools with personalized learning. And so this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And these two sisters actually have been doing this work for quite some time. Uh, We're getting an opportunity today to just kind of talk shop, catch up. Uh, and share that conversation about the work that they've done in the past, kind of pre-pandemic, what it has looked like uh, as those practices have found their way into the various you know, pandemic learning scenarios <laughs> that have played out, kind of thinking about it in our present context. And then also, um, as people steeped in this work, what it would look like potentially moving forward, right? So, so what is that work going to look like over time? So uh, I want to just start by saying, Tricia, Kayla, thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited to see the both of you
1: thanks for having us thanks we love this we're excited
0: yeah i don't know why it like strikes me to say it this way but my kiddos watch live and maddie have you ever seen that show oh yeah oh yeah yeah. okay i love that line in there where it's sisters by chance friends by choice and i think of the two of you whenever i hear that (laughs) line because you two are not only sisters but you're like best friends and so can you share a little bit about kind of your your work history together you have a n- unique backstory i think with regards to education so we'll kind of frame it for people that don't know you there
1: yes yeah, so um i'll start because i'm the oldest uh this <laughs> is trisha and i'm older by one year we're only one year apart though so we've kind of sometimes forget who is who's is older but uh we that's one of our kind of advice for people as we always say find your sister we t- totally believe Ever we are in our careers um, because of each other we spent 10 years job sharing where one of us would be at school and the other one would be watching all of our kids and my brother's kids so um, 11 kids our own little family daycare and after our job share we were lucky enough to continue to partner an uh, instructional coach and classroom teacher role and the advantage is we always had each other to not only just collaborate with but have somebody that you could truly be vulnerable with to not be afraid to make mistakes or take risks or um, try something different because you always had that person that was there to support you and help you think through things. So not only as you said, are, are we, we tell people we're sisters by blood, not just by um, sisters, by being really good friends, but it has been a huge advantage to be t- working together all this time.
2: Yeah, I would second everything that Trisha said. And just add that, you know, when we first started in college, we said, you know, we're going to job share. And we didn't know how that was going to happen, but we knew it would happen. And that's really how we've been able to take risks in education. You know, the blueprint isn't always there, but the security, figuring it out and learning by doing is just so much greater when you have that person that you trust and um, will push you to grow and You know when that's going to happen not if it's going to happen
0: gosh and i know that those uh that growth has certainly happened and i've even so i've gotten a chance to even hang out with you like ride to work with the two of you And you want to talk about just like a pd rich (laughs) you're just like going back and (laughs) forth talking shop and listening to good tunes even uh on the way to and from work and it's so cool to see how the two of you collaborate uh it's worth noting that your school and it would have been 2019 since we didn't have a conference in 2020, but Institute for Personalized Learning, the national convening uh, that they hold, recognized your school uh, as trailblazers for that national award. And so you, you both are very well steeped in that, have done a lot of work with personalized learning. And so let's maybe kind of start there. Will you set the story for us pre-pandemic time of some of the practices and the thinking and, and just setting up what that looked like at that time?
2: Yeah, um, this is Kayla and I'll, I'll start talking about early on in our journey. You know, I will say that we had, you know, connections with Brenda and Jim Rickabaugh and they definitely helped inform our work uh, without question and opened up the floodgates for us to really dig in. But prior to our connection and meeting those amazing people, we had some trailblazers in our district who were really focused on equity. And what they did is they took the leveled courses in English at ninth and 10th grade. So enriched ninth grade or enriched 10 English and created one pre-AP English course for all kids to enter. And the goal there was to give all kids a pathway to access higher level courses in high school. And so Trish and I were all for that and believed in that philosophy and that work but we had no idea what that meant in practice. And that really became our springboard for first, I would say we went to differentiated instruction and um, evolved into personalized learning. And Trish, I won't steal your thunder. I know you want to talk about Barbara Bray, so I'll let you you get there. (laughs) But um, what that did is it really forced us to change our practice and think about how are we going to design this course, these lessons, these units, so that all uh, are set up for winning streaks and growth. So Trish, go ahead and, and say your piece there.
1: <laughs> Again, we can we kind of know what each other will say, but early on, learning from other experts in the field like Barbara Bray and Jim Rikaba and a turning point aha moment was when Barbara Bray said that teachers are doing all the work. And I was like, that is me in my classroom. I'm doing all the critical thinking, all the creative thought, passing it on to my kids, and, and my learners are just going through the motions. And then when Jim Rukaba said, if we really want to transform education, we have to look at the learners as resources. And that was another aha. It's like, I'm one resource for them as their teacher but we are filled in a class well when we're when we're in the class classroom but or online um, there's all these other people that are bringing their own expertise to the space and that we really wanted to create a true community of learners so that we're all learning from each other And so we had these ideas, but again, in practice we weren't exact we we learned by doing. And when I think back to how we ended up where we are now, it all comes back to and this is something that we've blogged about and talked about, but systems and supports, systems that create the conditions for the work to happen, and then the supports for teachers to have that professional development, to have opportunities to collaborate, to learn from others on how to implement the practices that the system is set up for. So one of the very first things that we did when we looked at we want learners to be owners of the learning process and we want to look at them as resources so we at our school designed a daily flex time and a lot of schools use this as like a win time you know it, it's it was an additional 30 minutes in our schedule set aside set aside for learners to then um, sign up for the, the teacher that they needed to see and there was a lot of pushback when we first introduce this idea, but now looking back, this daily flex led to a transformational change in our building because it was a system. And then we needed to offer supports on how teachers all of a sudden needed to rethink their instructional time. They needed to incorporate learning pathways. Everybody didn't have to be getting the information and everybody didn't need the same amount of time. Some kids needed more more support some kids just needed more work time and some kids needed to be exposed to enrichment opportunities or extensions. So because we now had this time in our schedule and we were asking learners to sign up and advocate and own that time, we then needed to give them really intentional specific feedback that informed their choices. So not only did we create learning pathways and rethink instructional time, but then we were really specific with our feedback because now there was a system in place where kids and teachers could respond in real time and do something with the information, do something with the looking at the, the formative data, teachers could have an instructional response and learners could use the feedback teachers were, were giving them and make a good choice for their learning.
2: And in that journey, I would say too, I don't want to operate from deficit-based thinking here, but there was, there were some things we had to work through of some letting go of things that were kind of in our wheelhouse or things we were comfortable with or things that we were taught to believe were high quality instruction. And, and rethink, we like the phrase rethink because how could we structure things differently to give kids access to to learn? So one of those examples is, and we taught English, we should probably um, just remind you all of that but so we would start a novel unit everyday kids would come in and take a reading quiz and when they took that quiz we would just first we would decide what those five quiz questions would be and they'd come in and take the quiz and then we'd quick tally those up throw them our grade book and not do anything with that information other than measure if kids were compliant and I would even argue that didn't measure compliance because it was measuring if they pull out what we thought was important so we wanted to let go of that practice and although there was comfort in that we learned that that reading quizzes weren't what motivated kids to read and so instead we would think about how could we set them up to be able to engage in the learning and that 10 minutes that was quiz time would be hey great if you got the reading done please review these pages if you weren't able to get it done just read these couple paragraphs on this page so that you can engage in, in the lesson today and we can hear from you and hear your voice and and you can get something out of the experience today. So that's just an example of a shift and and that letting go and rethinking our practice, it's an emotional journey, but worth it.
0: And I think it's, I like the way you talk about rethinking that and, and stressing too that those aren't necessarily bad practices. I think that there are a lot of practices that can yield pretty good results by whatever measure you want to measure those by that maybe at the same time, don't reflect what the ceiling would be, should you push past good to great. (laughs) And that great comes so often from that, that intentional shift in allowing the learner to be not just at the center, because I I like thinking about it differently uh, than just saying center and driven. I think those are two different things. Center means we're going to throw you in the deep end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you might not be able to swim. But if, if you know how to swim and then we give you the opportunity to do that uh I, I think that that's what people who are at the forefront of this work understand is that we we have to teach learners how to be able to learn for them to be able to accept that responsibility successfully uh, where in the past i feel like maybe it got kind of shot down because we'd give students certain liberties that they weren't ready for and then right. we would shy away because because of the hard work it takes to like navigate that
1: Right. Yeah. You know, that was one of the first pushbacks we got in this work is the fear that all of a sudden kids were just going to be left on their own to figure it all out and really a misperception. And we actually, you know, kind of have gravitated towards the term of developing independent learners, that we're wanting to set them up with these skills to be independent and that, but we don't just start there and that um, teachers are crucial in the role of helping them develop these skills and um, how we do that is we just bring them in on the learning process and bringing them in and using common language and then giving them choice in some of those processes as well and then most importantly and foremost which is one of the hardest things I think for teachers to really appreciate and adapt is the reflection piece and that we're gonna help kids understand the process. And then we're gonna have them think about it and reflect on it, track their learning, use the feedback they're getting from teachers to reflect on to understand oh, this should inform my next pathway, not this is a score I'm going to get in my grade book, but this is information that's going to help me decide what my next step should be. So like you said, it is so much more about that gradual release and setting them up with the skills that they need in order to make those uh, learning decisions.
2: And, you know, Andrew, you just said something that struck a chord with me when you said those of us leading this work can see or can understand or or something you said. And our role as instructional coaches in the building, I think that our principal was wise to create that role in the building to have you know consistent monitoring and supporting of the work because teachers are well-intentioned and really like the idea but putting in an action is is challenging and understanding it in the same way Trish and I always have to check ourselves like okay this is clicking with us and and we get it but is it clicking for our colleagues because they might not be immersed in the work the same way and so with that we try to mirror these instructional practices through professional development by giving teachers choice giving teachers time to reflect um, taking small and strategic scaffolded steps in the learning process so that's another piece I think is important to recognize
0: yeah it's so critical I think that we always try to implement best practices when we're talking about professional learning but uh Uh, particularly when it comes to the personalization of that, I think that it's pretty, there's just a lot of power to it because teachers are used to working to some degree in isolation and having a fair amount of autonomy. And and I think that we want that on some level. And so to acknowledge that about the day-to-day and not to establish a means by which we can continue to grow that reflects that want, (laughs) I think is... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. There's something to that. I don't know where I'm really going with it, but that's where my, my thoughts are as a result of what you're saying there.
2: Well, like for an example, you know, as English teachers, having kids, inviting kids to reflect felt second nature to us. We loved it. Like, yes, let's dig into this reflection. But some of our teachers who teach math or science, you know, maybe didn't have that same comfort level. So then Trisha said to them, well, let's not call it reflection. Then Let's call it processing time in your class. And where is their opportunity to process what they're learning. And even that switch right there, and thinking about, talking about rethinking, rethinking how we frame reflection, really just gave our colleagues access to think about, okay, how could I design this in the learning experience in this class?
1: And I think when we first went, when we were all back in March, and we first went to this full distance learning model, in our school, we found that some kids actually started thriving or continue to thrive and then we saw a lot of kids really struggle and when we looked at the kids that were struggling it was those dependent learners those kids that were just really reliant on the teacher being there to guide them through every step and we really wanted to again this really emphasized the importance of our work around developing independent learners for for all of our our kids Um, we're living a case in point of why this is so important and the opportunities, like you said, from good to great, there's actually you know, way more opportunities when we look at learning through different learning pathways and different instructional molds than just our traditional classroom seat time with one teacher direct giving all the information.
0: In hearing you say that, I think it's important to bring up too that I, I don't, I don't want to undermine that there are, I, for my, I'll just speak as a parent for my own kids. I hope that my daughter has direct instruction at times. And I hope that she learned learn that way and she finds the like things that she needs to do to process that well. I think that's part of what we're talking about here. So uh, it's not necessarily that there's a hierarchy of teaching and that this is the we're gonna throw everything else out. I, I it's almost I think of it more so as like a diet, right? You you want to have a like well-rounded healthy balanced diet of instructional practices amongst which should be the opportunity to develop the ability to be independent as a learner Uh, and should you need to drive your own learning you have the capacity to do that
2: Mm -hmm. and also and so I appreciate that you said that because it isn't just that we're still offering direct instruction to kids but we're also naming it Mm -hmm. so that kids can identify that this is the experience that I'm having right now and then thinking about how that is impacting them as a learner. And Trisha, I'll let you chime in about Zorata Hammond's work and Ready for Rigor <laughs> Framework, because I, I can see in her face. I know that the listeners can't see, but she's ready to, to chime in on that that piece.
1: That's exactly what I was going to talk about, Kay. How did you? How did you guess? I don't know, but that's, um, yeah, that's exactly what popped in my head when Andrew you talked about the direct instruction because, that again, that was a fear that our community had that they were going to lose that, and what we actually, one of our systems that we created when we went this fall in some, we actually started in the hybrid model and some of our learners were full distance and are fully remote. And then by end of November, our whole school went to full remote and that's where we remain until we are able to come back to hybrid and hopefully full in person. But we wanted to create, again, systems of how classes were laid out for consistency for kids. We were in a middle school and so some of our kids have four classes a day, block classes, but in some days, some of our classes are called skip. So some, some days they have up to six classes in a day, and that's a lot for a learner to manage. We wanted it to be as consistent as possible. So we use something called a unit guide. And basically, it's it's just a Google Doc that organizes the unit by learning targets and having a place for kids to reflect and giving kids access to information. But we asked all of our teachers to use Zaretta's instructional framework, where, again, her, her understanding is trying to have an information processing ease. So you're helping kids understand the learning process. So we ask that you start your instruction with an Ignite. So it's that recall to prior knowledge or just getting thinking about the topic, calling attention to the topic of the day, focusing your brain, and then a chunk. So that's that direct instruction, but not going over like eight to 10 minutes, depending on the age of your learner. So that learners know, okay, this is the time that I'm getting that direct instruction. That's how I know I can listen for eight, we work on those active listening skills, those noting skills, I can do that for eight to 10 minutes, I have a hard time doing that for 20 to 30 minutes, but I can do that for eight to 10. And then we ask them to get into chew time or that processing time and then during that processing time maybe they're going to choose a learning pathway of, I want to continue to process this with my teacher in a breakout room. Helps me to talk to my peers about this in a regular room where I actually prefer to work independently with my camera and microphone off and just know that the teacher's there for questions or independently in the class and know that I can ask questions as I go so using that framework again just helps kids understand the process of, of learning and how our brain uh, processes like we said but also just um, to be predictable and consistent and knowing where it is, they're gonna have some ownership and, and choice. And most importantly, again, this has really impacted our feedback cycles and how we use grading. And we feel like that could be a whole nother podcast, obviously, yeah. when we talk about <laughs> meaningful grading and because grades is another thing that really got highlighted in all this and the the amount of kids across, I know all schools that are all of a sudden failing, but we really wanted to, you know, you don't work on your assignment to get a grade, you work on your assignment because it's gonna give you feedback on what it is you should do next. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this assignment so that my teacher knows what I need and can give me some feedback, or also just doing it's gonna give myself feedback of what questions, what feedback I need to seek from my teacher. So really helping kids understand that uh you're not doing your work for compliance or to check something off a list, but to actually see where you're at in the learning process.
2: I'm agreeing with her. You know, I'm thinking of Zoran Hammond's work has really informed us, but also this year, we've been digging into Dr. Goldie Muhammad's work, Cultivating Genius. I don't know if you've dipped into this book at all, but she talks about an equity framework called historically responsive literacy. And that's when you're naming and exploring and engaging with kids, identity, skills, intellect and criticality, those are her four pillars. And so that is, we've been adding those layers to Zaretta Hammond's framework as well. So it's been really energizing and exciting at work.
1: Because we feel like work of personalized learning is the work of developing independent learners. And it's also equity work. It's having high expectations for all learners and giving all learners equal access to ensuring learning.
0: So I'm starting to hear that because we had talked kind of prior to starting our recording, let's, let's sort of shape a little bit about where, where the work was at. And we've spoken right now to where some of it is in this current setting that we're in, that's ever changing with its hybrid high flex, concurrent remote distance, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I'm hearing there too, that uh, as that equity piece, I feel like it's grown in terms of how intentional we are being in this moment uh, mm-hmm. of that aspect. And I have to say it wasn't there before, but I think that it, that conversation has been elevated. So do you, yeah, maybe speak a little more to how you see that maybe feeding into this work moving forward?
2: Well, I think um, just you, I've heard you say the word intentional a couple different times now. And that is one of the silver linings of the pandemic. Not that we weren't intentional before, but we were intentional in a different way. And again, we are well-intentioned, but how we were defining what was intentional, I think it just, it looks different because the urgency is so much greater. And it's, I think it's much more transparent, you know, what's important when you're living and teaching in in a pandemic. So a lot of this work speaks to, social emotional learning and voice and student identity. And I think it will remain a priority because teachers have been able to see how reserving the time to have kids think about their identity and how they see themselves in the curriculum or to think about the skills that they are building beyond just the content is really a rewarding process. And it brings so much greater meaning to the learning experience than what was happening before.
1: And I think too, with the pandemic and like I said, with all of us discovering these pretty big gaps in kids that were able to continue to thrive and the kids that were really struggling and, you know, to be quite honest, I'm sure a lot of those gaps were there when we were also in the classroom as well. And just because kids were in front of us every day didn't mean that those, there was still some learners that were being left behind for better better words, but um, I just really think that it brought a new focus and um like you said urgency behind this work and you know also we're a school in minneapolis at the heart of you know what happened with george floyd and uh, some of the social justice movements and all of those you know recent events has also just put all these conversations at the forefront
0: Well, I I appreciate both of you so much because I know that you're always in collaboration with one another, constantly looking for ways to grow upon your practices and move this thinking in a a new direction. And um, so that equity piece, again, not new, definitely not new, but I think just an elevated role uh, of intentionality, like we're saying, in integrating that into that personalized work. Um, and gosh, half hour goes by really fast friends, <laughs> like whatever, right? uh, you, you start to you talk shop a little bit. So, so that being said, uh, I typically at the end of the podcast, ask folks to just share a little bit of like a, a parting message or kind of a final thought, and so I don't know what you would impart at this time, uh, whether it be about personalization or just something that's kind of at the forefront of, of your thoughts recently.
1: You know, I think one of the other this pandemic has created a lot of opportunities, opportunities and disruption. And I think one of the other great things to come out of it is teachers are very much out of their comfort zones and try new things. And while they're doing it, they're just totally vulnerable. to their learners and their learners are understanding that we're all doing this for the first time. And I hope that continues that understanding of we're learning as teachers as well, and that we're going to continue to grow and that it won't always be perfect and that we'll make mistakes along the way and we'll learn from them. I mean, we continue to model that for our, because that's ultimately what we want with our learners and it's okay for us as adults and professionals to experience that as well. So I've really appreciated teachers. I I have always loved teachers, but I, I mean, my love for teachers is just that much more, (laughs) Um, you know, just, I can't find the exact words to just say I just am so amazed by what teachers are doing day in and day out and how resilient they are and flexible and responsive and courageous and um, all the ways they've adapted and I hope that they continue to be willing to keep this when we get back to whatever our new routines and school structure will be.
2: You know I would say that my closing thought similar sentiments to Trish but also I just feel an abundant amount of gratitude so much more frequently now than I did before we were all thrown into this world. And gratitude for many different things. But, you know, I love the art of storytelling. And our dad taught us that everybody has a story and that we should learn it. And it's not surprising that we landed in this profession with that message coming from him. And through all of this We've been able to find stories of, you know, hope and resilience, and you know, lots of stories and 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 sad stories too. But the my point being, being able to just be waiting in this pool of stories, I feel really lucky to to be in this profession and very grateful. And and I've just been focusing on that a lot a lot more.
0: I think that. Uh... Kind of comes together pretty nicely here friends because you know I, I appreciate you sharing your stories today as part of my heart and wanting to put this podcast together is because i so appreciate listening to people passionately advocate for the things that they wake up every day and uh in their in their own small way fight for and and when you put kind of the collective of all that together and you step back yeah it is it's so powerful it makes you so proud to be in education it makes you so proud of all the the teachers that are there and and you're talking about gratitude i certainly i've always really appreciated the chances i've had to like sit down around the table and chat with both of you or whoever it is i've gotten to collaborate with and i'm grateful that there's zoom for us to be able to do these kind of things but when we get back to being able to actually sit down and talk shop again it is going to spark so much joy for me that i just cannot even begin to express that because uh, I will appreciate it in a whole new way, even more so than before. And I've always loved it.
1: So. I know. I can't wait to hug people again. But, <laughs> yeah. but Andrew, and thank you for helping, like Kayla was just saying, to spotlight and share so many other stories. And you're always so great about sharing your great ideas, but also other people's ideas. And much from you and your your other guests and colleagues so thank you for helping tell our stories all of us. I was
2: thinking that same thing Trish the Brene Brown love fest here that's what she calls it but (laughs) um, that's my favorite part of these types of interactions but I want to thank you for taking the risk of you know jumping into this new pathway yourself and finding another way to lead because you know at the end of the day it's about kids and that's really apparent whenever we work with you and we're thankful for that.
0: Oh, much love, friends. It's so great getting a chance to chat. So great getting a chance to catch up. And thanks for being on the pod.
2: Yeah, thank you.